Well, today we are going to take a turn and we're going to head into the home stretch of this series. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a variety of destructive trends, trends which have developed slowly over time, trends which have plagued this country. But today, we're going to take a turn and begin to look at some evidence which signifies that the judgment of God, it is in fact coming upon this nation. And we, <clears throat> we're going to continue in the, in, the, in, the, in the weeks to come, two, three, four weeks. We've got about four or five weeks left. We're going to look at some of the things that we can expect to see in America's future, very near future. We're going to look at the payment for those trends, the cost that this nation is going to pay for embracing sins which are in fact abominable in the sight of the God of Israel. Now, I want to take you back to 2012. In 2012, a book came out, written by a Jewish believer. His name is Jonathan Kahn, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. And the book was called The Harbinger. Later, it was accompanied by a documentary, a DVD, called The Isaiah 910 Judgment. And one thing I can tell you about this documentary, for certainty, without question, it is one of the most important documentaries this generation will ever witness. The basis of this documentary is a prophetic passage found in Isaiah chapter 9. And it's a passage that parallels what literally happened to this country on September 11, 2001. And basically what Jonathan Kahn does in this documentary is he draws the parallels that exist between the nation of Israel and the United States of America, showing that just as Israel suffered an attack by the Assyrians in 732 B.C., even so it is with us today when we suffered an attack by terrorists on 9-11 in 2001. And the parallel which Jonathan Kahn draws upon, or at least one of them, is that after Israel was attacked, rather than repenting and turning from their wicked ways, turning from their acts of lawlessness, from decreeing unrighteous decrees, worshiping other gods, committing sexual immorality, they were even killing their children, they were practicing witchcraft. Instead of turning and repenting of these things, we find they just kept on sinning. In fact, they stiffened their necks even more. Now, one would think after being delivered such a blow by the Assyrians as the nation of Israel had, that they would repent and they would turn back to God. But unfortunately, they didn't. Just as America, after it was attacked on 9-11, has not turned back to God. America has done what Israel did. She has turned her face from the Lord and we have stood as a nation to defy God. And the whole point that Rabbi Jonathan Kahn is making, and you get down to your boil it, you get to the nuts and bolts of this documentary, is that if you want to know what's going to happen to this country, what its future is, then all you need to do is go back in time, go back in history, and look at what happened to Israel. All we have to do is go to Scripture and see how the Lord handled the situation. You have to understand, this is the power of the Word of God. It shows us things that will happen. It's prophetic in nature. It is spiritual content. That's what it is. If you're willing to seek out his word, I can promise you, you're going to be given a supernatural insight into things that are not seen. You'll be given a supernatural insight 
of understanding on things that are yet to happen, that are coming on the horizon. The power of his word reveals to us what the Lord likes. The power of his word reveals to us what he dislikes. It reveals things that he hates, things that he loves. It reveals desires, his desires, and what he requires. It shows us how he deals with the nations who sin against him by persistent unfaithfulness. The word of God does all these things. Let me give you a better understanding of what I'm really getting at here. I want to take you to the Isaiah 9 passage and give you some perspective to show you our nation is at the brink. It's at its precipice. Isaiah 9, verse 8. The Lord sent a word against Yaakov, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down. But we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Here we see a declaration made by Israel. This is after experiencing an attack by the Assyrians. Notice the declaration is not, Oh God, the Assyrians have attacked us. They have wounded us. Please forgive us. We have sinned. We have done foolishly. We have acted wickedly. O Lord God of Israel, have mercy on your servants. Nothing like this comes out of their mouth. This is not their declaration. This is not their vow. Actually, what they say is the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. In other words, bricks are inferior to hewn stones. And what they're saying is we're going to become greater. Even though we've attacked, we are going to rebuild. And we will be greater in might and power. It goes on, the sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Yes, we had sycamores, but now we're going to replace those with cedars. The very symbol of might and power. This is their declaration. This is their vow. Now, because of this declaration, because of this statement they make, how does the Lord respond to them, to his people? Well, let's continue. Isaiah 9, 11. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. So the Lord, in response to Israel, refusing to return, refusing to repent, the Lord offers his own declaration. And his declaration is that he is going to bring them into judgment. His hand is going to be upon them for destruction. And he does this how? How does he do this? Instigating the nations around them. Instigating the nations around them, raising them up to come in to destroy them. Now, you might be thinking, well, Daniel, how does this have anything to do with us today? Well, let me tell you, on September 11, 2001, as you know, America was attacked by terrorists. Nineteen men of the terroristic group, Al-Qaeda, right? They were successful. They hit the Twin Towers. They hit the Pentagon, literally using passenger airliners as missiles. And there's no question the event will go down 
as being one of the greatest catastrophes in American history. This was an event that devastated the nation. I think most of you, if not all of you, remember exactly where you were when these attacks happened and when you heard it. People all across this country ran to their televisions to see what was going on. And let me tell you, the days after, the days following, I can remember there was a numbness that came over this land. The most powerful nation on earth has been breached. She has been humbled. On the day of the attacks, the mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani, he made the following statement. Now keep in mind what we just read in Isaiah chapter 9. And this is what he says. It's very brief. We're going we're gonna to rebuild. We're not only going to rebuild, we're going to come out of this stronger than we were before. Did you get that? The declaration came out. This is the very day of the attacks. On the very next day, September 12, 2001, Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle, he addresses the U.S. Senate floor. Listen to what he says. A symbol for 212 years of the strength of our democracy. And say that America will emerge from this tragedy as we have emerged from all adversity, united and strong. I know that there is only the smallest measure of inspiration that can be taken from this devastation. But there is a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times like this. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. That is what we will do. We will rebuild, and we will recover. Very scary. Quoting it verbatim and the exact same context that Israel quoted it to the Lord. Exact same context. Three years later, U.S. Senator John Edwards, speaking at the Congressional Black Caucus on the anniversary, uh, the anniversary of 9-11, 2004, this is what he says. Today, on this day of remembrance and mourning, we have the Lord's word to get us through. The bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. This is taken from Isaiah 9, chapter 10, verse. And let me show you today how, in fact, we're building and putting cedars in those three hallowed places footprints of the towers in New York, the Pentagon, and the field in Pennsylvania. Walk with me through this day, and you will see that this is, in fact, a season of hope. Walk with me through this day, and you'll see that while those bricks fell and the sycamores cut down, our people, our people, are making the cedars rise. This is absolutely amazing. The leaders of our nation are quoting Isaiah 9 as though it's positive in context. As though the passage, this is supposed to bring us comfort, right? 
What they fail to realize is that they are declaring destruction against this nation. They're declaring, literally, the death of America. You cannot make this stuff up. Truth is way stranger than fiction, right? You want to talk about scary. Rather than repenting, rather than calling upon God, crying out, Oh Lord God, we as a nation have sinned against you. We have been breached. We have been wounded by our enemies. Please forgive our sins. Have mercy. Rather than doing that, we find this nation has chosen to stiffen its neck, to embrace pride and arrogance over repentance. And this is a terrifying reality. The Bible makes it clear it is repentance that leads to life. Repentance leads to life. Proverbs 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 18 actually says, Pride, it goes before destruction. See, this is the wisdom of Scripture. Pride goes before destruction. And all of these statements, what Israel had said in Isaiah 9, in our own nation's leaders, literally quoting the very same passage, according to Scripture, was an act of pride. Refusing. And when we see the characteristic of pride, according to Proverbs, we know what is coming. Destruction. It's inevitable. We will not get around it. Going back to this statement, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. On July 4, 2004, a special ceremony took place at Ground Zero, where a hewn stone, it was literally lowered down by crane, established to be the foundation, the dedication stone of our very proclamation that, we, uh, that, our, that you've seen our leaders make. And listen to what the governor of the state of New York at the time, George Pataki, says at this dedication. Today we take Adirondack granite, the bedrock of our state, and place it as the foundation, the bedrock of this new symbol of American strength and confidence. Today we lay the cornerstone for a new symbol of this city and of this country and of our resolve to triumph in the face of terror. Today we build the Freedom Tower. And that stone right there is revealed right here. Literally hewn stone. Hewn stone, literally hewn stone. Our nation quite literally fulfills the declaration that it made. That it will move from bricks, that which is inferior, to hewn stone. We're going to become greater. We're going to become more mighty. Now, while this might seem like a noble and just act, at least aesthetically on the surface, when you go to the Bible, when you look at what it has to say in regard to our situation, and the way we're responding to that situation, we discover that this is actually a ceremony, a declaration of defiance against the God of Israel. It is symbolic that we will not bow our knee to our maker. That's what it is. But only those who have eyes to see and ears to hear will recognize actually what is happening, while others will drown in blindness, in confusion of heart. Now I want to take you back to the passage in Isaiah chapter 9 because the passage goes on to say something very, very interesting. It's something that cries out to us today. We move on to verse 16. We read the following. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Ask yourself a question. Are the leaders of this nation causing this nation to err? Are they causing the inhabitants to stumble? 
promoting homosexuality, promoting abortion. Are they promising good things? Are they promising peace and safety? Yes, they are in every way. They have and they will. Let me tell you something. They can talk about peace till the cows comes home. But I assure you, there will be no peace. There will be no safety. Line for line, we are following this prophecy to a T. We go on to verse 17. Therefore the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. In other words, you can take it to the bank. Judgment is coming. The Lord's going to give this sinful nation its just due. I'm telling you, this country is on the verge of experiencing something it has never experienced since its founding. Moving on to verse 18. For wickedness burns as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns and kindle in the thickets of the forest. They shall mount up like rising smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up. And the people shall be as fuel for the fire. No man shall spare his brother. Pay attention to the prophecy, because these things are coming. No man will spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. And he shall devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. Every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm. What does this tell us? It tells us famine is coming to the land. Famine is upon us. It is coming to the land. The greatest nation on earth, a nation considered plentiful, Famine is coming. Well, let me continue to build further upon this Isaiah 9:10 passage. Let me provide further evidence to show just how close we are to all of this taking place. The Lord in his craftiness, he left to his faithful, again, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, he's left us markers that mark off just how close we are as a nation to experiencing his wrath in full force and effect. One marker that we've already covered, we actually covered in week one, was fear, right? I mean, look around you. The inhabitants of the land are confused. They are running every which way. They don't know what's going to happen. They're fearful over what's going to happen to the financial markets. We have some people dumping their money out of their accounts, getting out of their 401ks, buying silver and gold. We have people fleeing this country. Fear. We have people digging holes in the ground to hide them from what is coming. Bunkers, these, these bunkers, if you've seen these shows, prepping shows, bunkers actually are at the all-time high. They've never sold so many bunkers in the history of this nation because people are digging holes in the ground to hide. You think about what is happening here. When you step back and you start looking at the inhabitants scrambling every which way to hide, what does it tell you? The nation's already fallen, right? The most powerful, the most awesome nation on the earth, its inhabitants are scrambling. This is so different than what would have happened 100 years ago. I mean, just think this through. If you were to go 100 years ago, and the men who had more morality, men of morality, men of integrity, they started seeing some of the things that we are practicing today make no mistake. 
they would have got together and they would have done something about it. If their religious liberties were under attack, they would go and they collect themselves as a community working together to defend the land, not to go hide in a hole. That's just mind-blowing. If you wanted to try to indoctrinate their children or hold immoral parades in the streets, they would have got together, they would have went home, grabbed their guns and their pitchforks, and they said, we're going to deal with this right here and right now, right? What was the statement? Give me liberty or give me death? Well, the sentiment has changed. It's no longer give me liberty or give me death. It's give me out of here. Funny, yet not funny. Think about it. The inhabitants of this land are scrambling. It's proof we've already fallen. This nation is crippled with fear. We're terrified over what's coming. And remember what I said in week one. This is exactly what happened to the nations who experienced the judgment of God. This was a characteristic they possessed right before judgment happened. It's not a coincidence. It's a sign. It's a marker. The second sign we just covered, the declaration of our leaders, the declaration that they've made, exactly what Israel in history proclaimed in defiance to God's reprimand in Isaiah chapter 9, so too we have proclaimed the very same thing in defiance to God. Let me build upon this further. Let me give you another marker, another sign which proves judgment is coming to this nation. Now, this marker is a particular sin that is mentioned in the Bible, something that you are all now very familiar with. And when a nation is found embracing this particular sin, I promise you, rest assured, destruction is near. The sin I'm referring to is none other than homosexuality. Just consider the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Most of us are familiar with the story. We all know how it goes. The the two angels and Yahweh, they met with Abraham in Genesis 18. You deliver him this beautiful promise. Then two angels leave. Yahweh stays with Abraham. And the two angels go on to Sodom for the purpose of destroying it. They're there. They've come to destroy it. Their plan is to go wait out in the open square. But Lot finds them and, and he persuades them otherwise. And Lot actually brings them back to his house. And this is where we pick up the story. Genesis 19, verse 4. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Entire city. All the men of the city, they're surrounding the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Yada in the Hebrew The very term utilized in Genesis 4 when it says Adam knew his wife Eve. He knew her, yada. That we may know them carnally. So here we find men of the town, they surround the house for one purpose. They're there to commit the horrific act of perversion, the act of homosexuality, something which is forbidden, which is abominable in the sight of God. And notice here that the passage mentions that the whole city was given over to this perverse lust. The land itself was totally debased. Now think about this. 
it was this particular perverse lust that was recorded right before God unleashed his wrath against Sodom. Do not think that this is a coincidence. This story is teaching us something, something very, very important. It shows us when we see this sin being committed overtly, this is the key, when we see it being committed overtly, it's out in the open for everyone to see, no one's ashamed of it, but rather they're willing to embrace it, support it, then, then you know destruction is near. Now, as we continue in this story, we're given some further insight in regard to what is uh, happening in our very own nation. It's very scary stuff. So Lot went out to them through the doorway. He shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. This is so interesting. The man Lot, he goes out to the wicked, he goes out to the inhabitants of the land, and what does he do? He begs them. He's begging his fellow countrymen, please don't do this act. Please do not act perversely. See, this is what righteous men do in the face of adversity. You understand? This is what they do. Lot was a righteous man. This is what we have to do, especially when darkness creeps over the land. Lot held the line. So how do they respond? Look at the inhabitants of the land. How do they respond to Lot's pleading? The moral conviction he's delivering. Well, dropping down to verse 9, we read, And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here. And he keeps acting as a judge. Fascinating statement. Because he's delivering moral conviction. He keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Notice here that upon Lot presenting the moral conviction, telling his fellow countrymen, conveying to them that their actions are in fact wicked, how do they respond? It's not a coincidence. They respond the exact same way our very own countrymen in this nation have chosen to respond to the Christians who are delivering moral conviction the exact same way. Just think about it. The Christians of today who dare speak out against homosexuality, they are ostracized, they are mocked, they are ridiculed, they are politically destroyed by the wicked men who inhabit the land, exactly as we see it being done in Sodom. And just look at the the, the animosity. I mean, the animosity growing between the righteous man Lot and the perverse men in the city. And the very same way, so too we find it today. Tensions are growing worse and worse with every day that goes by. Greater hatred is mounting up against the Christian community, against those who are actually clinging to God's commandments. They will not compromise. They will not compromise truth. It tells you that we are at the precipice. Look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you will see that the men of the land came to the point when they would no longer tolerate Lot's moral convictions. It all came to a head, and it was at that point that the land was destroyed. How terrifying is that? Look at America today, what do we find? The very same behavior. The inhabitants of the land are no longer tolerating moral conviction. The Christians are now being declared the insolent ones. The Christians are being declared terrorists in our own nation. Why? 
Because of what we cling to, the commandments of God, moral conviction. You want to know how close we are to judgment in this nation, study the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The parallels that exist between that story and America, they are too eerie for words. Now you may be thinking, well, I don't know about all this, Daniel. Just because the land had embraced homosexuality doesn't necessarily mean that it's an indicator that God's judgment is on the way. So let me further press the point and offer further proof to prove what I just presented to you in the context that I did uh, regarding Sodom and Gomorrah and the fact that it had uh, overtly acted out in homosexuality. I want to prove to you that is, in fact, a precursor to judgment. And I want to do this by taking you to the New Testament, which I love so dearly, to the book of Romans, Paul's most comprehensive work. In Romans 1.20, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So Paul begins laying some groundwork here. He's saying the invisible attributes of our God, who is invisible, he is not seen, is understood, is experienced through his creation, sun, moon, stars, the grass, the trees that grow, the flowers, the rivers, the beasts of the field. All of his creation testifies of him. And so, in other words, the people of the land, regardless, they're without excuse because he has revealed his invisible attributes through all of his creation. All right? Now, he continues in verse 21. Because although they knew God, and I want to be very clear, what Paul is referencing here as far as knowing God refers to the fact they've experienced God because they're living in his creation. Right? So because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, For this reason... God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. In other words, when God says, that's enough, I've had enough, go about your way. He gives them up to their vile passions. What sin does Paul grab onto? Homosexuality right away. And he goes on. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind 
to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. In other words, total debauchery, being totally debased, it's not just about you partaking in the sin itself, but it's also those who support what you're doing. Do you understand? That's the extent of it. So here we discover that when God gives people over to their own lusts, when God gives a people up to their own vile passions, when total depravity sets in, to the extent that we find society becoming so debased that they will even have men committing with men that which is shameful. It's a sign. It's a marker that society has reached the tipping point, that the land is on the brink of destruction. It's a sign. We go to Psalm 92, verse 5. O Lord, how great are your works. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. Understand what? Next verse, verse 7. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. I want you to ask yourself a question. Have the wicked sprung up like grass in this nation? You talk to people, and they marvel over what has happened to this nation. We were growing up, everything was fine. It's like all of a sudden, poof, total wickedness, total debauchery, right? You just read Psalm 92, verse 7, and we realize the wicked spring up so that God may cut them down. That's why we see this being totally debased, given up to their vile passions, because judgment is coming. You look for the signs. Look for the markers that Scripture gives you, and you will understand this if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Furthermore, if we go to the prophet Isaiah, we read the following. For Yerushalayim stumbled and Yehuda has fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The look on their countenance witnesses against them. This is the testimony. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Amazing. So the people of the Lord, when they experienced judgment, it was the point where they had acted or embraced sin without shame. That's when judgment had come in. In other words, they openly were sinning with no regret. This is the state of a people who are about to be judged. This is their behavior. Look around you. Look at our country today. We're a land full of blasphemers. We live in a nation that is not ashamed of its sins. We openly declare them as Sodom. That's what we do. Instead of feeling shame, we're actually proud. We're proud of them. We promote them, such as the sin of homosexuality. Is it in the closet? No. We're having parades. We are literally having parades. We are celebrating our sin. There is no shame. Let me tell you something. We are in trouble. This nation is in trouble. 
Jeremiah 3, verse 2, lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see where you have not lain with men. Where have you not lain with men? By the road you have set for them like an Arabian in the wilderness, and you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and there has been no latter rain. The blessings of God are stripped. That's what it's saying here. You have had a harlot's forehead. What does that mean? You refused to be ashamed. Israel once too acted wickedly. They refused to walk in God's commandments. And the Lord talks about judging them here in this passage and why judgment comes against them. It's because they have a harlot's forehead. That's why judgment came to them. They refused to be ashamed of their sins. Make no mistake. Again, this is a sign of judgment. As it was with Israel in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, so it is with the United States of America. We have a harlot's forehead. We do not know how to be ashamed. Again, in Jeremiah, we read, the wise men are ashamed. And it's referring to the leaders of the, the land. The, the, they're supposed to be they're supposed to be wise, but they're ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's fascinating that prior to the Lord pouring out his judgment upon his people, there were men running around giving comfort to the people of the land, letting them know everything's going to be fine. You don't got to worry. We're going to have peace. We're going to rebuild. We're going to be stronger. We're going to be greater. Exactly what was prophesied in Isaiah 9. And these people have become stumbling blocks to the people of the land. Why? Because they actually prevent them from turning. They prevent them from repenting. They're giving false comfort. And unfortunately, this represents our situation in this nation today. Now the passage goes on to say in verse 12, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. They didn't know how to blush. The conviction is gone because God has given them over to their vile passions. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. Make no mistake, this is exactly what this nation can expect. The wrath of God is coming. And unless you're a man or woman walking in the footsteps of Daniel, Noah, and Job, and the very steps that they walked, you have a problem. Read Ezekiel 14. You have a serious problem. Let me take you to Proverbs. We're getting close to closing here. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23, Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. If that doesn't terrify you, I don't know what will. This is what's going to happen when you have a harlot's forehead. We continue in verse 27. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me. But I will not answer, 
They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Verse 31. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. It is time to listen to the Lord. It's time to listen to Yeshua. Because I can tell you, judgment is coming. You want to turn from your sins, don't wait for tomorrow. Because I can tell you, God's judgment is upon this land even now. And as we continue in the following weeks, you are going to see that. I'm going to close with this very simple verse in Proverbs. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Amen?